there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com slash podcast. So in this week's episode, I'm going to be talking about managing heart failure in primary care. It can feel really unnerving for new grads, and I remember feeling this way too, for being like the provider when it comes to heart failure, even despite having, for myself personally, having multiple years of inpatient adult experience as a nurse working with patients with heart failure, it just, it was a little different and it felt overwhelming sometimes as a new provider. So in this episode, I really want to focus on patients who have established heart failure already as a diagnosis and start with some background information. Next, I'll talk about assessment, like assessing heart failure, the main things that we need to assess in the primary care provider role. I'll touch on management pieces and then as well as referral and co-management with cardiology. So a couple of pieces of really important background information. And whenever I do any of my teaching, I really start with these foundational pieces because it really informs every other step. These are the things you must know to kind of pass go continue, right? And so it may feel like, what is the point of this? But I promise you it's important. So a couple of background pieces of information. When it comes to heart failure, this is a complex clinical diagnosis that has no real gold standard of like, yes, you have heart failure. It's a combination of a variety of things, both patient symptoms, as well as um, some diagnostic testing. But the moral of the story, especially according to the ACC AHA guidelines with a new version in 2020, um, for heart failure is that it's about a either functional or structural abnormality of the ventricles so that they're not as effective in pumping blood. That's like the main definition of it. And the way you diagnose it, again, is a variety of pieces. So there are symptoms, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, but a couple of, of diagnostic tools I just want to introduce in, in broad brush um, perspectives, right? So one is a is a serum blood test called a BNP. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it because I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but BNP, N is a Nancy, and NT pro BNP. So this is a hormone, BNP is a hormone that's reduced when the ventricles are overly stretched, um, and they uh, it's a, it can be a sign of heart failure. NT pro BNP is something that's broken off of that precursor for that hormone, and so that has also been measured um, for diagnosis of heart failure. That's a test that has a lot of caveats. It is not routinely used for monitoring patients in heart failure. It has some data of correlation of prognosis with higher levels can lead to worse prognosis. However, there's no recommendations for continuously monitoring it. And there are so many caveats in there. If you're going to order that test, please get comfortable with that test before you do so. Please don't just order BNP on somebody and be like, oh great, it's blah, 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 right? There's a lot of caveats. And the other test that um, is used in consideration of the diagnosis initially is echocardiogram, and which is important when it comes to the different types of heart 
failure. And what they're looking for in that echocardiogram is the actual structure of the heart and how it's functioning. We're looking at the um, ejection fraction of how much blood is leaving the heart. So hold that thought for a moment. So that's some important diagnostic criteria. The next piece of important background information is the two broad types of heart failure. When I was in school in undergrad, that was over 10 years ago, and we used to talk about systolic and diastolic heart failure. It's sort of still a thing, sort of, but heart failure is just, I think the moral of the story is heart failure is a lot more complicated and the newer terminology is heart failure with reduced ejection fraction versus heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, meaning the ejection fraction measured on an echocardiogram, right? So, um, and just, there are actually many shades of this, but reduced ejection fraction is effectively less than 50% on an echocardiogram versus preserved is 50% or greater ejection fraction. Again, there are shades in between and nuances, but I'm gonna leave it at that for simplicity. But the main moral of the story with that is that like, we need to know when we're seeing a patient, is this reduced ejection fraction or preserved ejection fraction? Because management is different, right? It's kind of like two different entities. They're similar, but they're very different, right? And in this episode, I'm really talking about reduced ejection fraction. Two uh, last pieces about background information, um, and again, this all ties together when it comes to assessment and management and collaboration with cardiology. So the next piece is about stages and classes. And so probably this is a review for you, but the stages are in the ACC AHA guidelines. And what it's talking about is um, the levels of severity of um, structural impairment and symptoms. And there's levels A through D. So A is, and these are broad, right? And definitely look at the guidelines if you want to learn more. But the, the, the broad overview is that A is for people who are at risk for heart failure. So they have diagnoses like diabetes, hypertension, patients with obesity uh, fall into this category. Um, there are some cardiac abnormalities that predispose somebody's risk for heart failure. Those patients um, are considered stage A. Stage B is still considered, quote, pre-heart failure. However, it's patients who have signs of structural um, cardiac impairment, structural disease, cardiac disease, but they do not have symptoms. Stage C is patients who have both signs of structural cardiac disease and now have symptoms and stage D is called advanced heart failure. And those are patients that have both structural changes and symptoms so severe that they're interfering with their daily lives or leading to recurrent hospitalizations. So like, why does that matter? That sounds very tedious, Liz, right? No, it's really not, I promise. The rationale for that is that because inside the guidelines, the treatments correlate with what stage we're talking about. And so just to orient you, when you have a patient coming into your clinic, you're gonna, that's one of the questions you need to think about. What stage are we talking about here? The last pieces of background that's really important, again, this all ties together with the management pieces, is that there are classes. It's NYHSA, I believe. I always get the acronym messed up, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it, but it talks about the classes of heart failure. And this one, whereas the stages are really static, the classes are, are a bit mobile, meaning it's really describing the state of their symptoms as they are currently. So somebody can go from stage one to stage four and back to stage one again. And it's really, it just depends on what their, it's helpful to determine what their quote unquote baseline is 
to shoot for. And also if we're having like a worsening state of their symptoms, how do we classify that, right? So the four stages, um, there are four stages. So the first one is that there's no, no symptoms with both physical activity or rest. The second one is that you have, you're starting to get some symptoms with activity, but you're still feeling okay when you're resting. The third stage is that you're having pretty significant symptoms when you're doing physical activity, but still, when you're resting, you're doing okay. Stage four, unfortunately, is when patients have both symptoms, severe symptoms with physical activity, and they also have symptoms at rest. Like I said, it's not a fixed state to be in those classes of symptoms. Those can change, but those are just things to watch out for. So again, just to kind of recap, you want to think about, are we talking about reduced Ejection heart failure, HEF-REF versus HEF-PEF, which are just the cutest names. So you're talking about HEF-REF versus HEF-PEF. Uh, what stage of heart failure are we talking about and what class of heart failure are we talking about in this visit, right? Because that one changes. Last piece is what are the goals of care for heart failure? Just to or orient you or reorient you about that, the goals are to prevent complications, reduce morbidity, meaning hospitalizations, reduce quality of life, et cetera, and reduce mortality and prevent progression. Like we're really trying to keep the, like, can we optimize what we have, prevent it from getting worse and prevent patients from dying? Like those are really important, crucial parts of the management of heart failure. So next I wanna talk about the assessment and just really kind of put it in context. So the typical context is that you're a new grad or maybe you're returning to primary care um, or you just want a refresher, beautiful, right? So you have a person who's in front of you or on your schedule and you're like, oh gosh, they're coming in for follow-up of heart failure. What do I do? It's like, okay, take a deep breath, first of all. Second of all, let's think about some assessment pieces. So things you can start before the patient even comes in the room. So looking at their chart, who, when were they last seen in your clinic? By who, right? Was it one of the other primary care providers? Was it a chronic care follow-up three months ago? Or was it they la were they last seen two years ago? Another question, have they seen cardiology before? Um, ever, hopefully, right? If somebody has a diagnosis of heart failure, the hope is that they at least have seen cardiology on that initial diagnosis, right? Spoiler alert for referrals. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, have they seen cardiology before? When was that last appointment? Was it a year ago because they're stable? Was it six years ago because they're just not really interested in their care right now and now they're like really short of breath, right? Um, other pieces, what tests have been done before? Um, have they have an echocardiogram done before? Have they had a BNP done before or NT pro-BNP? Again, that's kind of for reference. We don't really continually monitor that BNP test. We do continually monitor those echocardiograms though typically it's annually. So, and then also while you're looking at that cardiology note, likely they're going to say those things that I just talked about. HEF-REF, HEF-PEF, what's their ejection fraction percentage? Is it less than 50, greater than 50? What number is it? Do they talk about their baseline? Do they talk about how they're feeling at that visit? What the expectations are? What is their care regimen? And what is their recommended plan of care? Follow up in three months, follow up in six months, follow up in a year. Right? So that's all before the patient walks in the door, before you're in front of them. So when it gets to being in front of the patient, you want to do a couple of assessment questions. You want to assess how their symptoms are. There's a whole bunch of symptoms for heart failure with a variety of sensitivity and specificities. However, let's touch on some of the main ones. So we want to ask questions about dyspnea, chest pain. Um, are we having it with um, either dyspnea or chest pain with activity? at rest, again, talking about the classes, right? Activity, 
Are they fine at rest? Are they not well when they're resting, right? Those are important. Do they have edema, uh, lower extremity swelling? Do they have a cough? Do they have paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, meaning waking up in the middle of the night, suddenly waking up because they're short of breath? Do they have orthopnea, meaning they can't lay flat, right? All of those things have various sensitivity and specificity for heart failure, um, including weight gain which hold that thought for one second, I'm gonna to touch on that. But um, last kind of like physical assessment piece, if you're looking at a person aside from assessing their subjective symptoms are you know listening to their lungs for rails that can be associated with heart failure worsening or maybe their baseline, hopefully not their baseline, but anyway, listening to their lungs, uh, looking for edema in their lower extremities. How far up does it go on their legs if they do have it in their feet? Is it pitting? Is it not pitting? Is it pitting, three plus pitting up to the shins? Do they have generalized anasarca? Like hopefully not, <laughs> very terrifying. And then the last really tricky assessment piece for physical exam is that JVD, that jugular vein distension. Um, I know it's really tricky. You can Google it. You can take a look and see what the steps are. From a cardiologist's mouth, um, the most important piece is assessing for it, less so like how many centimeters or inches or however you measure it above that. So moral of the story, that's the one where you lean back about 45 degrees. Um, you can press on the patients um, around their liver and it can lead to some reflux back up into their jugular veins and then you measure how tall it is above that line. Anyway, the moral of the story is that you're trying your best to assess it. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to get those exact measurements. You're just trying to get a picture of what's going on, right? Cardiologists do this all day, every day. So they're very good at it. All you got to do is practice, right? So I do want to touch, touch on weight because this leads into the patient assessment, like assessment slash counseling. So one of the pieces you want to assess is weight gain. I felt really uncomfortable with this as a new grad. Um, and I think it's really dependent on the patient as well as the cardiologist that you're collaborating with in the co-management of this patient. But typically patients who have heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, you want to check, they want to check their weights at home every day. And ideally, right? Ideal world, they check it every day. And there's various parameters, whether they have worsening symptoms or they have a certain amount of weight gain in the course of overnight versus in the course of a week. So for an example, I had a patient who, if they had worsening dyspnea or shortness, shortness of breath and dyspnea, the same thing, but like coughing, uh, worsening of their edema, they had more than three pounds of weight gain within one day to the next, um, or five pounds over the course of a week, they were directed to call the office, either the cardiology office or our office, to get guidance about their medication management, any education, any um, diuresis that they might need, things like that, or guidance to go for hospitalization, for example, to the ER. So weight measurement is really important to having those conversations, seeing what cardiology recommends, coming up with a plan for that patient, reinforcing it at that visit, and um, also talking about lifestyle management. So reducing sodium intake, right? The 1500 to 2000, they may need fluid restriction as well, depending on their staging, their symptoms. Um, we definitely want to talk about alcohol use and tobacco use, reducing those as, as best we can. Um, and just overall kind of healthy diet as well as preventative measures. So when it comes to management, most of you, most of our role in primary care is assessment 
Like, where are we at? When do they see cardiology? What is the regimen supposed to be? What's their baseline, right? Baseline weight, baseline symptoms, so that we can establish if there's been a deviant, right? Deviation. And on that note, I actually want to add about the symptom variety is that um, a lot of times we'll, patients will get diuresis when they are having signs of fluid overload, and that is an art more than a science. And it is normal if you feel very uncomfortable with that. And what I would do, and I still do, is call the cardiologist themselves and say, hey, I have our mutual patient, blah, 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 blah. Here's all the information. They're taking all of these meds. Here's what is going on. Do you have guidance about adjusting their furosemide, for example, right? And it was a very collaborative conversation, but I digress. Um, okay, so when we talk about management, um, we'll get back to that. So management is effectively assessing the patient, doing patient education, are they at their baseline or are they not at their baseline? Are they worse, better, are they the same? And then what is their medication regimen, right? Because just because we prescribe something doesn't mean somebody's taking it. And then the other piece is that even if we prescribe a medicine, it doesn't mean that they tolerate it. So um, this is a little too much to get into for one episode. I do feel like this would be helpful course content, but I make no promises, but to be continued talking about um, guideline-directed medical therapy, GDMT. You may see this in the guidelines or in heart failure conversations in general. Effectively, when we talk about those stages, the ABCD, in the guidelines, it takes the stages and it gives you exactly what those people are supposed to be taking for guideline-directed medical therapy, right? So if you're at stage, if you're at risk, there's recommendations. If you have pre-heart failure, but you have structural changes, there's other recommendations. And if you're at that stage C of, you know what, you have both structural changes and symptoms, you get a whole cocktail of medications. And without getting too much into it, the moral of the story is that there are medicines that are life-preserving, mortality-preserving, like meaning these medicines are demonstrated over time to reduce a patient's mortality with heart failure, and then other ones that are symptom reduction and quality of life improvement and reducing hospitalizations, however, have no effect on their long-term mortality. So what's really important to take away is that um, take a peek at those guidelines, take a look at that kind of medicine cocktail that goes with each of the classes. I really want to focus on just a snapshot of those patients who are at stage C, the ones who have both structural changes and symptoms, because the, the majority of patients that I'm seeing in primary care are having that. So just as a broad overview, there's a couple, there's a cocktail of medications for those patients that they should be on. And I want to be clear that there are medications that you choose that we choose for heart failure because they number one can improve their ejection fraction or reduce mortality. And then there are other medicines that we choose because it's important for their symptom management and to think, do things like reduce hospitalizations. However, um, those do not have that mortality benefit. And the reason I'm stressing that is because sometimes in the real world, just because we prescribe a medication for somebody doesn't mean that they tolerate it. And so sometimes we have to do things that are not exactly the way that they quote unquote should be because a variety of reasons, right? So just as a brief overview snapshot, it gets a lot more detailed than this, but you want to think about what medicines classes is this person taking? Beta blockers, ACE inhibitors, and diuretics are the, are the main three. Those first two ACEs and ACEs, ARBs, and beta blockers actually, those ones are mortality reducing, mortality improving rather, um, diuretics are important for symptom management and preventing hospitalization. However, those are not necessarily linked to redu reduction in um, mortality. 
Um, after that, there's actually been some updates too, whether it's reduced ejection fraction or preserved ejection fraction, and definitely check out the details of the guidelines um, as it applies to your practice and your patients. But there's more included now about those SGLT2 inhibitors. Regardless of patients who have diabetes or not, um, there is there are recommendations about using dapagliflozin. I'm probably not saying that right. I'm going to included down below some links in the guidelines as well. Um, but that's definitely a consideration for patients who have heart failure, both reduced and preserved. And then they also, um, we want to think about um, a mineralicoid receptor antagonist. So spironolactone, aplerinone, those are, um, those are also diuretics, but those are more linked to the reduction of, um, or like prolongation, reduction of mortality, prolongation of life. Um, from there, there's like a whole other host of things, but really that's just like a snapshot overview of like there is a cocktail of medications, uh, guideline-directed medical therapy, GDMT, um, that patients should be on depending on their stage and their classes and all of that. So definitely take a peek at that in conjunction with the notes from cardiology, and then your next steps are really kind of seeing if they've ever seen cardiology, right? So if this is an established diagnosis, they should have seen somebody from cardiology before, and they should have some guidance from them about when to follow up and further adjustments. I really work collaboratively with my cardiologists um, in um, that work with my patients because it's just, it's, it's really high risk for patients. And I think the other bottom line for real world practice is that in primary care, we only get 15 minutes and there are a whole bunch of tests. There's a whole bunch of education. There are a whole bunch of all these different things to be thinking about as well as guideline updates and new studies and new medications and all of this stuff that really should be in the hands of cardiology. Like we can absolutely continue them in primary care, but I am definitely a stand for us to get the support that we need to give the best care to our patients. And I just, there's so, there's so much to be offered when we can co-manage patients. Um, and I didn't talk about all of the medicines in, in heart failure. Like I said, that's a huge topic. Um, but hopefully this is a helpful primer for you to feel more comfortable walking into those heart failure visits. So um, thank you so much for watching. Um, if you haven't grabbed the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and bonuses. I really just don't share any else. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll talk to you soon. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.